48K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Todd Harding. Tonight's headlines. Cathay Pacific staff urge the government to step into a dispute over new contracts they're being asked to sign. The government dismisses criticism of its eased social distancing rules and the Constitutional Affairs Chief says the ICAC has the power to investigate electoral fraud, even for cross-border cases. Cathay Pacific staff have urged the government to step in to help them in their dispute with the airline over new contracts, which will see employees take substantial pay cuts. Staff have been given a financial incentive to sign the new terms by one minute to midnight tonight and have been told they'll lose their jobs if they haven't signed by the same time next week. Amber Soon of the Cathay Flight Attendants Union said the government had given substantial financial support to the airline and could mediate to secure more time for staff to consider their options. We do urge the company, we do urge the government to push the deadline further, to extend the deadline so that everybody can have a clear picture to understand thoroughly about all the terms and conditions before they make the decision. Health Secretary Sophia Chan has brushed aside criticism of the government's latest set of coronavirus rules, saying it's not illogical to allow groups of six to dine at restaurants while banning gatherings of more than four outdoors. Here's Violet Wong. Speaking on an RTHK program, the health chief said the government was moving to ease social distancing measures gradually and public gatherings still posed a risk of spreading the disease. Asked whether groups of six who had dined together would have to split up as soon as they left the restaurant, Professor Chen said she believes people are rational in daily lives and people seldom walk in large groups. Discussing the limit on public gatherings, she said the government will assess the risk and make adjustments, and the fact that it wasn't adjusted this time round doesn't mean it won't be changed later. From Friday, restaurants would be allowed to sit six people at a table instead of four and to operate at 75% of capacity instead of 50%. Bars and nightclubs will also be allowed to double the number of people at each table from two to four. They will be allowed to open until 2 a.m. instead of closing at midnight. Activists, however, have complained that the ban on outdoor gatherings of more than four has been used as a pretext to stop demonstrations. Infectious disease expert Dr Joseph Tsang says the government's message may be confusing, but the authorities are trying to prevent a rebound in cases while respecting the needs of businesses. They tend not to release or relax the measures so quickly. But on the other hand, they try to satisfy or try to uh, meet up some of the expectations from the industries, from the catering service as well as the bar service. Hong Kong has gone a third day without a locally transmitted case of the coronavirus. The SAR reported just two imported cases today involving a 37-year-old woman who arrived from Indonesia and a 28-year-old woman who'd been to India. The Constitutional and Mainland Affairs Minister says Hong Kong's graft watchdog will have the power to take action on electoral corruption, even if the crime happens across the border. Eric Tsang told a LegCo meeting that the SAR government was still studying the feasibility of setting up voting stations in Guangdong for Hong Kong people living there. Pro-democracy lawmakers have questioned how local agencies can enforce the law if voting happens outside the SAR. But speaking through an interpreter, Mr Tsang said the legislation was clear. 
The ordinance applies to all conduct concerning an election, whether the conduct is engaged within Hong Kong or elsewhere. In other words, any person who engages in corrupt conduct or legal conduct breaches the law, no matter whether the conduct takes place in Hong Kong or elsewhere. ICAC will investigate relevant cases in accordance with the law and will carry out law enforcement actions, including search and arrest, depending on the actual circumstances of the case. A man who pleaded guilty to beating up two people who were said to have been taking photos of anti-government protesters in Mong Kok last October has been sentenced to four years in jail. The district court judge rejected Law Waiwa's explanation that he thought the victims were planning their own attacks. Two others, a woman and a migrant worker from Egypt, were given 15-month prison terms for admitting to one count of wounding in relation to the same case. You're listening to RTHK. The time is coming up to five minutes past 11. Five law firms representing 12 Hong Kong anti-government protesters who were arrested by mainland authorities in August have been told by the mainland's justice ministry that they're banned from handling the cases. Natalie Ching has details. Five lawyers appointed by the protesters' family were prevented from seeing the detainees in Shenzhen on Thursday last week. The lawyers said they would sue the relevant authorities after their repeated requests to meet those held were rejected. Authorities have told them that lawyers to represent the detainees have already been chosen, although the relatives dispute this. The 12 were allegedly fleeing by boat to Taiwan when a Guangdong Coast Guard detained them. They were now facing charges for allegedly crossing into mainland waters illegally. Last weekend, protest rallies were held in different parts of the world as a show of support for the detainees. A member of the University of Hong Kong's Governing Council, Eric Jung, says it's regrettable that a background check was not carried out on a new vice president of the institution who's been accused of being a Communist Party member. But Professor Jung says he voted in favour of the appointment anyway. Violet Wong reports. Mainland Professor Max Shen has denied the reports that he's a member of the Chinese Communist Party. But students staged a sit-in protest as the council met yesterday evening to vote on the appointment, with sources saying 21 members backed Professor Shen for the post, while one voted against it. Professor Cheng, who's a principal law lecturer at the university, told a radio program that he supported the appointment out of respect for the selection process. He said he didn't want to practice double standards after the controversy over the council rejecting the appointment of pro-democracy scholar Johannes Chen as a vice president in 2015. But Professor Cheng said he has suggested during the council meeting that a panel should be set up to carry out a due diligence check on Professor Chen, but his proposal was not accepted. He added that it was not ideal that no women or international scholars were chosen for the roles. One of Professor Shen's fellow academics at Tsinghua University, Gong Pang, has been appointed as the other new vice president at HKU. A prominent local travel agency is asking all 300 staff members to take unpaid leave from December, saying it can no longer afford to pay rent or staff costs. Damon Pang has the story. RTHK has obtained an internal letter dated Tuesday in which Sunflower Travel explained that it is facing serious financial difficulties as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. It has asked all staff members to reply by noon tomorrow whether they are willing to go on unpaid leave. No implementation details were given, but a firm has said there would be two phases of unpaid leave, the first from December to February and the second from March to May. 
The agency also said it would stop asking for government wage subsidies from December. Firms can only join the employment subsidy scheme if they promise not to sack workers. In the first phase of the scheme, Sunflower received nearly $6.7 million for maintaining its 297 staff positions. The chairman of the Travel Industry Council, Jason Wong, says he expects more travel agencies to introduce similar cost-cutting measures as the government subsidy scheme expires at the end of next month. He urged the industry to do all it can to retain workers until sector-boosting measures such as travel bubbles or the health code system with the mainland are implemented, saying that's when things would turn around for the trade. The hospital authority is encouraging recovering COVID-19 patients to take advantage of its free Chinese medicine services after only one in five of those offered treatment took part. It says traditional medicine has shown good results in helping clear up lingering symptoms such as insomnia and declining sense of smell. About 2,000 people have been offered free rehabilitation sessions under a scheme introduced in April, but only 400 have participated. Rowena Wong, who heads the authority's Chinese medicine department, says she hopes more will sign up. We have not estimated if they're saying that this participation is low or is high. I think we, uh, major is if you look back about the whole program, we would like to position is to help the patient that they have discharged, they can get rehabilitation program. So it is voluntary. That means every single patient actually have received an invitation letter. It's up to them if they want to get this Chinese medicine treatment. Turning overseas, the Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden has made a scathing attack on Donald Trump's handling of the coronavirus, saying he's failed the people of the United States by refusing to endorse social distancing or encouraging people to wear masks. Speaking in the town of Warm Springs in Georgia, a state the Democrats hope to win, Mr Biden said he could reunite a divided country. Anger and suspicion are growing and our wounds are getting deeper. It may, and many wonder, has it gone too far? Have we passed the point of no return? Has the heart of this nation turned to stone? I don't think so. I refuse to believe it. I know this country. I know our people. And I know we can unite and heal this nation. At a rally in Michigan, Donald Trump accused his opponents of misleading Americans about the pandemic in order to discredit him. They use it to make us look bad. But here's the story. It's COVID, COVID, COVID. You can't watch anything else. On November 4th, you won't be hearing so much about it. Okay? November 4th. On November 4th, you'll hear. It's getting better. It's getting better. You watch. No, no, they're doing heavy COVID because they want to scare people. The president is also traveling to speak to supporters in the state of Nebraska. Earlier, his campaign website was briefly taken down after it fell victim to hackers. Sports Now and the Los Angeles Dodgers are the 2020 Baseball World Series champions. A come-from-behind 3-1 victory over the Tampa Bay Rays in Game 6 ended the Dodgers' championship drought that had lasted 32 years. Atom Jung has details. 
While the Dodgers are celebrating in Texas, Tampa-based pitching change in the sixth inning will be questioned for years to come. Ray starter Blake Snell was dominant in protecting an early 1-0 lead. He struck out nine through the first four innings, a stat line only matched by the legend Sandy Koufax. But manager Kevin Cash pulled in with one out and a runner on first in the sixth. The Dodgers pounced on the move. Mookie Betts dashed home from third on an infield ground to put LA in front. He also added a solo shot in the eighth to help the Dodgers win their first World Series crown since 1988. Corey Seager, who drove in the go-ahead run, was named World Series MVP. Seager batted 400 in the series with a pair of home runs, five RBIs, and seven runs scored. Dodgers third baseman Justin Turner received a positive test for COVID-19 in the middle of the game and was quickly removed. It was Major League Baseball's first positive test in 59 days and Turner wasn't on the field as the Dodgers celebrated their win. Joseph Bartomeu has resigned as club president of the Spanish football giants Barcelona and the rest of their board of directors have gone too under severe pressure from fans. He had been facing a vote of no confidence following a very public falling out with the club's star player, skipper Lionel Messi. His parting shot, though, was that the club would be part of the much-talked-about European Super League in 2024. But the Spanish football expert, Guillain Belaguer, says that is not all is not what it seems. We're talking about maybe the earliest, of course, will be 2024, when the new football calendar starts, if this league gets approved all over the place. So that still means... He's left behind a club in financial disarray, he didn't mention any of that, unable to pay its costs. So whatever money comes in, the, the, the bills that are coming in, Barcelona cannot pay them. That's wages and other costs. Barcelona are in UEFA Champions League action later tonight, but they won't be facing Cristiano Ronaldo in a much-anticipated clash with Juventus. Ronaldo is waiting for results of another COVID-19 test and hasn't been cleared to play. In athletics, the 100 metres world champion Christian Coleman has been banned two years after missing three drugs tests. The 24-year-old American has had his suspension backdated to May 2020 and will not take part at next year's Tokyo Olympics, though he's allowed to appeal to the Court of Arbitration for Sport. The BBC's Mike Costello has more details. The credibility of men's 100-metre sprinting has been dealt another blow. Coleman's punishment means that now, of the top six fastest men of all time, only Usain Bolt has not committed an anti-doping violation. In Coleman's case, he fell foul of the rules relating to an athlete's whereabouts, under which they must notify drug testers where they will be for a specified one-hour period on any given day. Three missed tests within 12 months result in a ban, and Coleman will now miss the rescheduled Tokyo Olympics, with his expulsion set to last until May 2022. A reminder of our top stories tonight, Cathay Pacific staff urge the government to step in to a dispute over new contracts they're being asked to sign. The government dismisses criticism of its eased social distancing rules and the Constitutional Affairs Chief says the ICAC has the power to investigate electoral fraud, even for cross-border cases. The news from RCHK. RCHK Radio 3 it's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's Newswrap programme.
Cathay Pacific staff have urged the government to step in to help them in their dispute with the airline over new contracts, which will see employees take substantial pay cuts. Staff have been given a financial incentive to sign the new terms by one minute to midnight tonight and have been told they'll lose their jobs if they haven't signed by the same time next week. Our reporter Francis Sitt attended a news conference held by Cathay's Flight Attendants Union and told Jim Gould what they're demanding. All the remaining staff in the airline are now being asked to sign a new contract with involved significant cuts to the pays and their benefits. Uh, but despite the unions calling these contracts unfair, the staff are facing uh, a deadline and being told that they would be terminated if they fail to accept the new contract by Wednesday next week. But there's also another deadline at midnight tonight. The company said only staff who signed before the end of today would be able to get several thousand dollars of subsidies in the coming January to March. Um, the airline management has completely refused to vouch, uh, vouch uh, despite the unions decrying over this deadline, uh, even sending an email urging staff to sign the contract again today. So with the deadline quickly approaching, uh, the Cafe Pacific Flight Attendance Union, as well as pro-democracy lawmakers, have issued uh, their latest appeal asking the government to step in to at least postpone the deadline today as well as next week's ultimate deadline so staff can have some time to have a better look at the contract. They say seven days or even 14 days is simply not enough and the union said the government have the responsibility to intervene when Cafe Pacific have earlier taken a huge bail of sum from the government. Uh, the union said Cafe cannot treat workers like this after taking the public money and their actions will prompt other companies to follow suit. Uh, the union uh, also met officials from the Labour Department over new contracts, uh, just like another union also did yesterday. And at the press conference, uh, the union said um, they, the, the Labour Department will help to set up a meeting between the union, the airline and the department later. All in all, the union's message is very clear. The government cannot just save Cafe Pacific, the company, but let the workers suffer. So what's likely to happen after the midnight deadline? I mean, will everything be set in stone or will there be uh, more attempts to negotiate? Well, the, uh, the union certainly hope um, the, like, it, it's the end of everything after tonight. Uh, they're hoping that even though the government might not be able to make any concrete changes by the end of tonight, they can still kind of force Cafe Pacific to delay the deadline next week for staff to sign the contract, uh, as well as asking the airline to still pay the extra subsidies to staff who sign the contract uh, later, ten, uh, later than today. Now, the staff are obviously still very angry about the contract because we're talking about pay cuts of 40% or even up to 50% compared to before. And some staff are saying um, it's unfair when the management of the airline are taking pay cuts for only one year and the contract the staff have to sign will be permanent in a way. So they are indeed considering other legal actions uh, such as seeking an injunction. But whether these uh, actions will be effective, uh, it's still in doubt because um, the Cafe Pacific uh, Flight Attendance Union has already admitted they estimate around a thousand staff have already signed a new contract, even though some staff has emailed them and said that they regret it a lot. And the airline management has also told uh, all the employees that it would not negotiate with the unions and they have there are already enough staff who have signed a new contract to allow flights to operate normally till next year. So we really have to wait and see the coming developments to see what's coming next. 
A human resources academic at Baptist University is warning that the mass layoffs at Cathay Pacific are just the tip of the iceberg and the city's unemployment rate would surge past 8% by the end of the year. Dr Felix Yip, Associate Director of the University's Centre for Human Resources, Strategy and Development, says he expects more firms will make staff redundant as the local economy continues to struggle. He spoke to Wendy Wong. Hong Kong is an export city. We have a, a, a very close contact with other countries, particularly US and Europe. So if they cannot improve themselves, then I, I doubt whether the economy of Hong Kong can improve. In, in that regard, we cannot help to improve uh, the unemployment rate further. Also, it will suppress the pay increase in Hong Kong. In your survey, you, you found that about 30% uh, of companies have made some staff redundant. Uh, do you expect more, more, more companies will uh, fire the employees? As a good employer, they may not ask them to leave, but they certainly will ask them to take unpaid leave. It can be, can be half, a, half a month or the whole month. That is basically, a, 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 I would say, is a, a generous arrangement already. Unlike the case of Cafe uh, Pacific, they asked them to leave. If I were them, I may do the same thing because you, if you imagine the, the efficiency is only talking about 9%. So you have a, you have a large surplus of manpower. So what, what can you do? And then uh, it makes the Cafe Pacific less competitive. Being a, a reasonable uh, employer, I guess the other companies will do the same thing. That's why I, I, my, my prediction for the rise of unemployment rate further goes to the end of the year. To what extent do you think Hong Kong's jobless rate will worsen? Did you say you think Hong Kong's unemployment rate will exceed 80%? I, I believe so, because you get judging from the current moment. I believe Cafe Pacific is the first one. The other companies are doing the similar thing, privately or silently. That is the, the, that's the worry I'm, I'm, talking, I'm thinking about. Just looking at, at uh, the aviation industry, Cafe Pacific is one company, right? But what about the other ground staff? The other operators in uh, um, airport authority, those uh, good grounding staff or part, they are part-time there. Since December or January, they have less flights. And those part-time staff being laid off already. But, but those, those are part-time. But the, the wave is coming to the full-time staff. Your survey also found that companies in the Guangdong province may give their staff a salary increase of up to 5.5%. That's yep. um, much better than Hong Kong, right? Of course. You look at the GDP prediction for the third, for the third quarter of uh, China is 46 As compared to Hong Kong, is negative 9%. So you know about the difference. <laughs> so do you think fresh graduates in Hong Kong or other uh, employees in Hong Kong may be tempted to um, work in the Greater Bay Area? They should have such thinking and planning. As I mentioned, they have they, they to think it wisely, and uh, not only thinking about just doing their work in Hong Kong. They have to extend their opportunities. Greater China is one of the, the, the good options because uh, the language, the, the lifestyle are quite close because Hong Kong, uh, uh, those uh, cities in, in Guangdong province are, are so close to us and their, their living style are quite like, quite, uh, quite like us. But in, in addition to that, I, I would ask them to think about going beyond Greater, Greater Bay area, which include cities and countries in uh, East Asia. Because the, the, the language, not only for that, but also the skill set and the mentality of Hong Kong people seems to me is more uh, adaptive compared to the young, young people in uh, Southeast Asia. I think they, they, have, uh, they have an opportunity to develop their, their business and career over there as well. 
The Liberal Party has said a majority of respondents to a telephone poll it conducted are in favour of introducing a health code system to allow quarantine-free travel between Hong Kong and the mainland. People would have to test negative for the coronavirus from an approved testing facility before they can travel. Party chairman Felix Chung gave Anna-Marie Evans more details about their findings. About 60% of the people agree that we should have a health code in order to negotiate with um, the Guangdong province of Macau so that we can open open up the border and have uh, normal activities and economic activities again. So what would be required for this health code? Basically, we need to, of course, have to do the test, the virus test on both sides. And we have to have a standardized requirement and a standardized health code, which uh, the two areas will be uh, using together. Yeah, so, so you'd have to have mutual recognition of health codes between Hong Kong and the mainland, and you want that to be launched as soon as possible, and that's what the results, so you say 60% of those surveyed were in, in agreement with that? Yes. So have people shown any concerns over privacy issues? Well, certainly some of them they do. But the thing is, those people agree, those 60% of uh, people agree that they don't mind to have this sort of problems because certainly if they agree on that, they understand that uh, they have to disclose certain type of information. So, of course, 40% of the people, they do not agree. So just let those 60% of the people agree to, to do it first or start it first. And, and we also have asked those data to be collected by a third party and the individual third party with credibility, not by the Hong Kong government. So I hope that will help to release some sort of worry from the people that the information or the data will be released to to some, somewhere else. Now, Hong Kong hasn't launched its own health code system yet, mainly because the city is still seeing local infections, although we're now on to day three without a local infection. And experts have said it's going to be quite difficult for Hong Kong to record 14 days without any fresh local cases. So are you hoping the Hong Kong government will still launch a health code system and allow quarantine-free travel to and fro from the mainland in spite of that? No, according to the government, especially um, directly from the chief executive, she said the health code in Hong Kong size is ready and uh, is working with uh, the Guangdong province, uh, the Guangdong government to see if they will accept it. I hope the chief executive is going to travel to Beijing and Guangdong next week. And hopefully they can finalize and make an agreement on how the health code between the two areas will work it out. Now, how can the government solve the issue surrounding testing, the availability of tests and the costs? Well, this is another issue that, uh, of course, people are, uh, are concerning about, especially the cost of the test. But as we all know, uh, have there are uh, more people joining this health code and joining the virus test the cost of the test certainly will go down, um, especially on the Chinese side. Basically, the, the cost on the Chinese side is only about 150 RMB. So the cost is very low. I mean, the, so we should see how we can utilize the test in the Chinese side if we want to open up uh, the border. Now, should the whole city, do you feel, be mandatorily tested? 
I think that is very difficult, especially from the survey that we're having. Only 60% of the people agree with that. Still have 40% of the people do not. So just let those people who agreed to, to start it up to uh, work it out first. I mean, not necessarily everybody will want to go to mainland or go to uh, overseas, but many of them with families in China, with business in China, let them let, let those those group of people started because they are in urgent on uh, going back and forth. The first Borat movie was denounced by Kazakhstan 14 years ago, but now, as the film's sequel is released, the Central Asian Republic is deciding that any publicity is good publicity. The BBC's Jonathan Savage explains. Fourteen years ago, I released a movie film which brought great shame to Kazakhstan. You can see that again. Sexist, ignorant and anti-Semitic, Sasha Baron Cohen's Borat is not a great ambassador for Kazakhstan. I'm here to give my daughter as a gift to someone close to the throne. Thank goodness, then, he has a decent catchphrase. Uh, this is a bag that just goes oh, over the dress. They're nice. Even if you didn't think Borat was a very nice representation of Kazakhstan first time round, it was a critical and commercial success. Authorities there threatened to sue Sasha Baron Cohen, but now they are pinching his idea. The Kazakh Tourist Board's new series of vignettes features travellers exploring the world's ninth largest country, taking in its scenery, sampling the cuisine, and each time the verdict is the same. Very nice. The idea actually came from an American who did an internship in Kazakhstan in 2005. He pitched it, and the rest is history. Kairat Sadvagasov is deputy chairman of Kazakh Tourism. The country is evolving, so are people, and uh, we get a lot of people educated, Western educated, and uh, we, we see the approach differently now, with, especially with more younger generation in different agencies of the government. So this time around, I think we realized that giving any uh, official attention or disgrace is... I guess helping more the owner of the film. If you take the new movie seriously, you probably still aren't going to consider Kazakhstani people particularly enlightened. The Kazakh American Association has criticised the film for promoting racism, cultural appropriation and xenophobia. 100,000 people have signed a petition demanding its withdrawal from Amazon's streaming service. All this, though, is grist to the publicity mill. And if it means tourist dollars as well as movie dollars, the verdict will be unanimous. Very nice. Those stories were part of the Newswrap programme, which was broadcast on RTHK early this evening. Todd Harding from our newsroom. Legislation on national security in Hong Kong is designed to safeguard national sovereignty, security and development interests. It will also ensure that Hong Kong becomes a safer, more stable city. The legislation is aimed at an extremely small minority of those whose behavior and activities pose threats to national security. It will not affect the legitimate rights and freedoms enjoyed and exercised by Hong Kong residents in accordance with the law. National security law preserves one country, two systems and restores stability. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December. We'll have moments to remember. 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 Well.
Welcome to Music Nostalgia with Ray Cordero from now until 1 a.m. The theme from Limelight by Sir Charles Chaplin, played by Mantovani. Nostalgia with Ray Cudero all the way. Why was I born? Why am I living? What do I get? What am I? 